For those of you watching online, a very warm welcome to you and our congregation here live in the sanctuary will not know that this past Monday we looked at our recent figures for our live streaming broadcast and discovered that her numbers have increased internationally at an exponential level, in fact. And we now have folks in Toronto, uh, London, England, South Africa watching, and Sydney, Australia for the first time with a group of 70 or 75 watching down under. So good evening to you and thank you for joining us. Uh, We are delighted you're here today. If you have your Bible with you this morning, can you please turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 as we are making our way through the Old Testament book of 1 Kings over chapter 17 through 19 and focusing on the remarkable individual, the Old Testament prophet Elijah. If you were with us last Sunday morning, you will know that in chapter 18, Elijah reached the very pinnacle of what may be caricatured as success. And we come into chapter 19, things change and change in a surprising fashion. So we begin at chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert... He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, 
When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went outside and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over these last few weeks together on Sunday morning, as we have immersed ourselves deeper and deeper in the story of Elijah, we've learned a whole number of new and fresh lessons. And one of the things we've learned is this, that Elijah is a remarkable individual. At times he is fearless, uncompromising, patient in prayer, and is absolutely, utterly committed to the purposes and plans of God. And one of the other lessons that has come up consistently during our Sundays together has been the application of these passages, and it has been this. Whatever we are facing, whatever we are going through, we can absolutely depend on the invincibility of God's grace. And so that's where we've been over the last few weeks. But in chapter 19, things begin to change and change significantly. We're about to see a side of Elijah we haven't encountered before. In fact, it is so arresting, so stark and startling, we begin to say, is this the same Elijah? Because in chapter 19, we find Elijah vacillating between courage on the one hand and fearfulness on the other from optimism to pessimism, from hopeful to hopeless. And in fact, the man we see is being crushed by the oppressive weight of his responsibilities that have mounted and mounted and mounted over the last three or three and a half years. And Elijah is in bad shape. Let's pause our thinking on Elijah for a moment. And let me try and illustrate what we're about to encourage as we go deeper and deeper into chapter 19. Those of you who are medieval historians, and I don't suspect there are too many of you, but you will know that in 1415, there was a major battle in France, the Battle of Agincourt. And at Agincourt, French with 20,000 troops fought against the English who had 8,000 troops. It was fully anticipated that the French would win and win significantly as they not only had light infantry, they had heavy cavalry, they had archers, and for all intents and purposes, the battle at Agincourt was over before it began. And yet, the 8,000 English troops won the battle. Historians, military tacticians, strategists will tell you there are several reasons, but the primary reason was this, English archers. English archers were taught as wee boys, somewhere around eight or nine, they were given a small bow and taught how to string that bow and enjoy archery. 
And as they got up into their teen years, early adolescence, then as mature men, they discovered the power and accuracy of archery. And a full-grown man would take a bow, which is about six feet tall. It came from a yew tree. It was shaped like that, straight. They would then put it against their foot. They would bend the bow, string it up, and then that bow could be used to fire arrows. They would pull it back just behind their ears. And when an arrow was loosed, it was deadly up to 300 to 350 yards because there was a pull weight of between 60 and 80 pounds on each arrow. At Agincourt, a thousand arrows were loosed every second and decimated the French troops. But from an early age, those young archers were also taught this, that a bow that is constantly bent because the string is on it will eventually break. And so archers, even from a young age, all the way through to mature manhood, when they had finished their archery, they would position the bow again, take the pressure off, and loose the string. When a bow is bent consistently, at some time, the pressure is going to snap the bow. Elijah, for the last three and a half years, was under incredible pressure. He was a wanted, hunted individual. He was the number one enemy in the nation. Only a couple of weeks earlier, he was a lone, solitary figure who stood against the spiritual and moral decay of his nation, and he had completed an incredible triumph against Ahab, Jezebel, and the moral and spiritual decay, as I said, of the entire country. And by the time we come to chapter 19, Elijah is exhausted physically. Mentally, he has no more reserves. Spiritually, he's at a low point. And the fearless, uncompromising, patient man of prayer who was absolutely convinced of the invincibility of God's grace was emotionally and physically exhausted, energy utterly depleted. And when Jezebel threatens to take his life, that's the straw that broke the camel's back, and he flees for his life. Jezebel had a track record of arrest, torture, persecution, and death to people she did not like. She was not a nice individual, and Elijah was fleeing for his life. And notice what happens as the passage unfolds. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid for his life, and when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he was there, he went a day's journey into the desert, and he came to a broom tree, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Talk about going through a period of discouragement, despondency, depression. 
That was Elijah. So here's my first question this morning. Have you ever been there in a place so low physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually that you are absolutely exhausted? It could be that over the last 14 months, with all of the restrictions and the wrestling with a global pandemic, your small business has not succeeded the way you thought it might. And in fact, the future is not looking good. It may be that you are the sales manager for your company and things have not picked up the way you hoped they might over the last eight to ten weeks. And the pressure is on. It may be you've been married for two and a half or three years, longing for a family, desperately seeking a child. But God has not answered that prayer. And you are feeling, to say the least, isolated, alone, hurting, discouraged, despondent, depressed. Let me pause for a second and paint another picture. I said earlier that Elijah, last Sunday morning, we left him at the very pinnacle of his career where he absolutely stood fast against the prevailing culture of his day. It was his great supreme moment, the moment he is known for more in all of Scripture than anything else. So what happened to Elijah between last Sunday morning, chapter 18, and now in chapter 19? If you have ever hiked seriously tackled a little of the Appalachian Way, or maybe you have been involved in mountain climbing in the past, those who regularly hike or climb mountains will tell you this, that as they are making their ascent up to that final peak, and they usually work it out so they can get up there around lunchtime, and then a deep breath, sit back, take off walking boots, put their feet in a stream, open up their lunch, have something to drink so they're refreshed and they're relaxed. They look back down the trail they've they've come from and then they begin to plan their descent. And those folks will tell you that you are often at your most vulnerable when you start to make your descent because your energy is a little less. You're not paying as much attention as you are going up because you're living in light of what you have already achieved, and you're delighting in the grandeur and majesty of the vista before you. And if you're not careful, what they will tell you is this, that in an unguarded moment, you may step in the wrong place on a rock, and that rock turns, and your ankle goes over, and you end up hobbling off the mountain, not the way you had intended. You're injured. You're hurt. That was Elijah living with a threat on his life, was fleeing to get away from Jezebel, and rightly so, and we can empathize with him immediately. And where was the great, uncompromising, strong national leader 
physically exhausted, emotionally spent, was now in a downward spiral running for his life. Exhausted, tired, and says, Lord, I have had enough, and prayed that he might die. Elijah's in a tough spot. Interestingly, he leaves his servant, probably the only friend he had nearby, and he goes off on his own. And please allow me to say this as gently as I possibly can. If you are in a tough place, discouraged, depressed, the temptation to back off from everyone else and isolate yourself may well be very strong. It usually doesn't help. Isolation, solitude, living on your own doesn't help. Friends are there to pray for us, encourage us, get alongside us, strengthen us. They often bring subjectivity that we can't see into the crisis we're facing. Please don't isolate yourself. And as Elijah experiences all of this, I wonder if you've been there. I wonder if you're here this morning watching from home and you are grieving over past events and regrets. Your hopes and dreams have been high at one point and then they collided with the harsh realities of life in the 21st century and it's going nowhere and you are despondent, disappointed, hurting because things have not worked out the way you had hoped. If that describes you, come with me a little deeper into this passage. And please remember that Elijah found little shade beneath the barren trees of discouragement and isolation. He was not encouraged there. Neither was he thinking clearly. Wasn't thinking in biblical terms. He wasn't going back over his life to say, Now, Lord, do you remember when you first called me? I sensed your presence and its comfort and your tender touch. I remember your enabling grace and the strengthening you brought to my heart and my soul and my mind. Father, in those days you seemed so near, so close. Intimacy with you was a living reality. And now suddenly you've just walked away. You've left me. Is that who you are? Elijah doesn't even think about the past. Elijah doesn't stop and pray, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. He's so wounded, so hard. About 25 or 30 years ago as a young adult, I remember for the first time hearing from my dentist the word abscess. If you ever go to your dentist and he says the word abscess, pay attention, listen carefully. I had no idea what an abscess was. I knew I had pain up here in an upper tooth. And he says, 
my fear is it's going to turn into an abscess. I said, sure. He said, come back in three days. I'm going to give you a prescription for antibiotics. Take your antibiotics. Come back and see me in three days. They should begin to work on the infection. I said, sure. And all I heard was, take the antibiotics. See me in three days. Well, within 48 hours, my face began to swell. This eye began to close. And the pain was absolutely unbearable. And I walked the floor that morning at four in the morning, shaking my head, holding a towel of ice up against it in the hope that somehow it might help with the pain. It didn't do a thing to touch the pain that was an inflamed nerve deep, deep in the root. Didn't touch it. Next day, got to the dentist and it was fine and all worked well. But my point in telling you the story is this, that there are moments when our pain can be so bad, so debilitating, utterly crippling, that we're not thinking straight, that emotionally we're spent. All we can feel is the pain. And I suspect that's exactly where Elijah was. The bow had been bent so long it eventually snapped. And what happens? God sends to Elijah an angel who wakes him up, provides nourishment for him. He needed physical nourishment and rest. He goes back to sleep immediately. Then the scene is repeated again. He's woken up once more. He eats and drinks again. He's physically being restored. And then he travels for 40 days and 40 nights, goes into a cave on Mount Horeb, the mount where God, or the mountain rather, where God was particularly associated with, and imagine he sleeps again. And then things begin to change. Verse 9 Then the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, Elijah said. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Physically exhausted, mentally fatigued, Elijah discovers what every generation from Elijah since has discovered, that man cannot live by bread alone. And it is Elijah's greatest need that God now addresses. And Elijah needs the presence of God. He needs to be refreshed and renewed spiritually, physically. He's had some rest. He's had some nourishment. He will need a great deal more, but he also needs to be refreshed and renewed heart and mind and soul. And God says to him, I'm about to pass by. And can you imagine what that is like? Occasionally in the Old Testament, you have situations like this. It's called, technically speaking, a theophany. And we've touched on it often in the past when God manifests himself in a physical manner. And that's exactly what happens to Elijah. Elijah has isolated himself once again in the darkness, 
and despair of a cave. And God passes by on the outside. And God, in all of his transcendent majesty, physically appears, and the mountain begins to crumble, and the earth shakes and quakes, and the fire flashes across the mouth of the cave. And God is in neither of them. And then we discover those wonderful words. And God was in the whisper. Now, you may be saying, Richard, why are you telling us this? What is the point of this? It's this. That God will not always fight for your attention. He will not always grab you by the collar and give you a good shake. He will not always call out in the darkness. And if we are comfortable and inclined to spend our days in a digital playground paying more attention to Facebook and emails and texts and WhatsApp and TikTok, he's going to leave us there. Amusing ourselves to death. He's going to leave us right there. But when we discover the emptiness and the shallowness that this 21st century life at times offers, and we turn off our screens and put them down and begin to pay attention to Him by opening up the pages of His Word and speaking to us from it, then we are quiet enough to hear the whisper. Then we're quiet enough to hear him speaking and drawing us in and drawing us in and drawing us in. Sometimes he will simply whisper, what are you doing here? At no time does God look at Elijah and say, Elijah, come on, get it together. You know better than this. Elijah, what on earth are you doing? Stand up. Be a man. Come on. Never. He says, Elijah, rest in me. Not simply rest, crucial, important, foundational as that is. Not simply eat, crucial, important, foundational as it is. But rest in me. And it was when Elijah rested in the presence of God. Then he was renewed spiritually. Then he discovered his strength coming back. Then he was no longer mentally exhausted, but God was breathing new life and energy into Elijah. And I wonder if this week, for some of us, It's time to unstring the bow. If it's bent all the time, at some point it's going to snap. Maybe this week we need to get to a quiet place. Turn off our screens and our phone and quietly spend the time in His presence as He refreshes and renews 
and feeds us and energizes us once again. And then don't be surprised if that still, small voice of God reminds you once again that you can absolutely trust in the invincibility of God's grace when you are at your point of deepest need. You can trust Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture this morning. And thank You that in those moments when we are discouraged and despondent, bordering on depression, when we are physically, mentally, emotionally depleted and exhausted, You are there for us. Father, allow us, please, to put down the grief over past events and regrets. Let go of those derailed dreams and the high hopes that have collided with harsh reality and to be refreshed and renewed and trustful of you once again. Father, bless us, please, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus' name.